for Tuesday, January 26th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, for some people experiencing homelessness in Atlanta, the pandemic hasn't hit them as hard as expected. When we see our, our clients and our friends on the streets, it's really easy for us to think that, you know, they're so medically fragile, anything would kill them. But I'm just consistently surprised at the things that they survive. I mean, you know, they're fighters. Joy Fernandez de Narayan talks about how her work with Atlanta's homeless population has had to change because of the coronavirus. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. For years, the Atlanta Health Clinic Mercy Care has been sending teams of providers to care for the city's homeless where they live. The idea is to build relationships and offer care to people who lack good access to services and might be wary of institutions. But their street medicine initiative has been forced to adapt because of the pandemic, says Joy Fernandez de Narayan, who manages the program. She's with me now for more. Joy, thanks for talking with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you again. Tell me a little bit about the street medicine program for listeners who may not have heard of it. What is the work that y'all do look like in non-pandemic times? Yeah, so in non-pandemic times, we have a couple of different street medicine teams. One is more of a permanent supportive housing team, and one is strictly an outreach team. And both teams will focus on people experiencing homelessness with a special focus on people who are you know, less interested in getting help or just utilizing systems poorly and who've been on the streets for a long time. So these people generally have a big mistrust of the system, and we work to kind of repair that broken trust and all that damage that has been done. The outreach team goes out three times a week right now, and we have primary care, nursing, case management, peer support. We added substance abuse um, this past year, and we have psychiatry. And so we'll go out into different encampments and try to engage with people, see what their needs are, um, and meet those needs. We can provide medical care. We take all our medicines with us and connection to inpatient rehab for substance abuse services, connection to our clinics, connection to Grady, and then also connection to housing. So we try to do as much as we can. It is a long process, but, you know, we work with people and walk alongside them through that process. And then our more permanent supportive housing arm has psychiatry, primary care. We have a therapist, also peer support specialist and a case manager that work 
to match people who are chronically homeless, who are also high utilizers of emergency services, to housing vouchers. And so they work to get them off the streets, get them housed, and then continue to provide supportive services throughout that whole process. Take me back, if you could, to this time last year. You know, maybe we were just starting to hear about COVID. We were aware this pandemic was coming. This work that y'all do is really intensive face-to-face work. So how did y'all in the early days of the pandemic have to pivot to address the new reality living with COVID? Yeah, so one of the first things that we did was stop trying to do quite as much face-to-face as in we tend in this building trust, we tend to try to get as close as we can to people, to hug people. Our clients for so long have been used to not being treated as individuals, as human. Any positive human contact is basically gone. So we you know, try to give that to them. And when the pandemic started, we couldn't do any of that. And so we stopped seeing patients medically unless they were emergent, but we continued to do outreach. So we would go check on people. We provided a ton of education, hand sanitizer. We passed out some tents and lots and lots of flyers just about how to keep yourself safe during this pandemic. This is what's going on. Um, And just tried to also provide food. A lot of the food pantries shut down. A lot of other outreach programs stopped doing outreach. And so to kind of close that gap, we had a lot of food donated to us and we'd go distribute. Um, So we actually increased the number of people that we were seeing because we weren't, you know, taking the time to go through all this medical stuff, just providing refills for chronic patients um, and referrals where necessary, and then lots of food. Losing that ability to really walk up to people and connect with them on that personal level, how did that affect your ability to really offer them services? So it's made it more challenging. And especially now, you know, we're wearing masks. And if we're going to get in anyone's personal space and see them, we have to put a face shield on as well. And so people are less likely to come up and ask for services. So it's been hard. I think we get a lot of bonus points for having been out the entire pandemic. So our name recognition, it was always there with Mercy Care, but it's grown since we've been out so much. And, you know, eventually, you know, whereas maybe Sometimes it would have taken a month or two to get someone to accept services. Now with the increased distance and all that, um, it might take a little bit longer. But in general, thankfully, um, we have continued to be able to make connections. You're out there multiple times a week working with people one-on-one. Have you seen a lot of COVID cases? Have you seen deaths? I mean, talk to me about kind of what you've been seeing, how this pandemic is playing out with these people that y'all serve. So thankfully, we've been fairly lucky in our COVID rates. I have seen cases, and unfortunately, we have lost people to COVID, but our rates for how many people get COVID are significantly lower than the general population. I think especially those experiencing unsheltered homelessness, they tend to be kind of loners anyway. So that helps in this pandemic to keep them safe. But also very, very early on, the CDC came in um, and was deployed to help with testing in all of our congregate living shelters. We also rounded up people experiencing unsheltered homelessness and brought them in for testing. We did testing in soup kitchens and we continue this effort. And I think that early on, just decompressing the shelters, working closely with the CDC and getting all that testing done we've been able to maintain our rates really, really low. Has that been surprising to you? I feel like early on there was a lot of conversation about 
you know, people who don't have great access to healthcare services that COVID really had the potential to tear through those populations. It was a surprise, particularly in the shelters, because we were seeing other large cities with enormous rates of COVID in the shelters. We see it in the jails. And so to be able to come out of that relatively unscathed um, was definitely surprising. I think when we see our, our clients and our friends on the streets, it's really easy for us to think that, you know, they're so medically fragile, anything would would kill them. But I'm just consistently surprised at the things that they survive. You know, they're fighters. So they have that going for them. But on the other hand, they are very medically fragile. And so sometimes at some point, your body can only take so much. Are there things that have happened to you, experiences that you've had with people over the last year, just thinking about COVID that have really stuck with you? Yeah, I think very early on in the pandemic, we were all still kind of scrambling and not knowing what to do. And and I got a call one weekend that a client of ours had tested positive. And he was actually someone who at that point was living inside, but no one could track him down. No one could find him. And so the social worker and I geared up and went to go look for him. And, you know, really early in the pandemic, we were just trying to figure this thing out. This was probably in April. And so there was also kind of a question of like, is this really that serious? Is it that bad? Going through a lot, definitely with the clients, but even, you know, some in the healthcare field and the general population. And so we get up to this gentleman's apartment and he is just huffing and puffing like he's run a marathon. We were talking and he just could not catch a breath. And I was like, hey, do you feel like you need to go to the hospital? And he was like, yeah, okay." And so, you know, we called, the ambulance came um, and he ended up he was in the hospital for many weeks and ended up actually passing away from COVID. And I think from that point on, you know, the social worker just looked at me and he was like, wow, this is not a joke. This is for real. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, And so that kind of informed the rest of our response of like, guys, this is this is serious. This is. Did you wash your hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Joy Fernandez de Narayan. She's with the Atlanta Clinic Mercy Cares Street Medicine Program that offers services to the city's homeless. We're talking today about how her work has had to change because of the pandemic. You spoke a little bit about testing a moment ago. What have you been seeing so far with regards to vaccination and and the effort to get vaccines to people who might not have stable housing, who might be living unsheltered? I would imagine that this is a challenging population to reach. Yes, it definitely is. And we are not currently taking COVID vaccines with us um, when we do our street rounds. That may or may not change depending on how things go. Right now, those experiencing unsheltered homelessness um, are not prioritized for vaccination. They will be, you know, eventually. Those that are 65 or older can get the vaccine, but just with like storage requirements and you, they're multi-dose vials. And so once you open it, you have to use them all. In general, when we've taken vaccines out that have been like hepatitis A or flu vaccines in response to those illnesses, we don't have a whole lot of people lining up waiting for vaccine and definitely not enough to warrant opening up a vial of COVID vaccine. Although Mercy Care does have COVID vaccine now and um, it is available. I'm not 100% sure on if we're already giving it to our clients 65 and above um, or when that will come into play. 
something else that has happened here is this is not just a health crisis. This is also an economic crisis. And we've seen the ways in which so many people have been affected by this. Um, has this changed y'all's work at all? Are, are you seeing more people experiencing homelessness? Are they experiencing different kinds of challenges as kind of like knock-on effects to the pandemic? Yeah, so it definitely has changed the landscape out there. I think especially initially when everything went into basically full shutdown and Atlanta was like a ghost town, that really affected our clients. It was, you know, like living in an alternate reality for all of us, but for them as well. And so they're, you know, in the middle of downtown and there's just no one to be seen. Food is scarce. And I think it just brought out a lot of fear and anxiety. People prone to psychosis tended to be worse. And then also seeing some people who were, you know, newly homeless, although thankfully we haven't seen the influx that we were concerned about because of all the eviction moratoriums. But on the flip side of that, with all the emergency funding that has come through, the city has really responded to help provide, you know, a non-congregate shelters. And they did a whole phase one where we brought the most vulnerable off of the streets. And now they're in phase two, working on getting people who are still vulnerable off the streets. And then they're also using a lot of that HUD emergency funding to support rapid rehousing. So there's a big housing surge. They're hoping to pull, you know, all the 500 people on our housing queue off of that and get them placement into their own places. And, you know, they've been working really hard on that, ramping up a lot of efforts. And so that's been encouraging. And, and you know, it has refocused us a little bit. Whereas before you'd put someone in the housing queue and have to wait months and months and months and months. Now you can put them on the housing queue and have a referral for housing pretty quickly. And so it kind of shifts what you're doing a little bit. So these are efforts from, from the city of Atlanta, finding people housing. Tell me a little bit more about that too, if you could. So because of the congregate living being an increased risk for COVID, the city tried to create a non-congregate shelter, basically. And so they have a hotel that they've used and each person gets their own hotel room. And what the, they're trying to do is to get people to stay in their room or in the hotel and, and not go out and get sick and then come back. And it's been very successful in getting people off the streets. And then they have been working very hard getting people um, referred to housing from there. It is the city effort. It's through Partners for Home, which is our um, continuum of care organization. We're here a year into this pandemic, really. You know, we're about a year out from some of the first cases being identified here in the country. How do you see the next six to 12 months playing out specifically for the work that y'all do and y'all's clients? So I'm super excited to get my second dose of vaccine in February. Um, I already have my appointment set up. And I think there's a kind of a, a sense of hope that's building based on that. You know, we're going to continue to go out there and hit it hard and, and do outreach, get as many people off the streets as possible, and then make sure that they're connected to whatever services they need to be successful and reintegrate into what we would consider, you know, normal society. So you know, from what I understand, we're going to be wearing masks and social distancing for quite some time to come. But I think there is definitely a big glimmer of hope um, for all of us as we get vaccinated, work to get our clients vaccinated, and hopefully kick this thing. And I'm wondering, too, if this is something that you've thought about. You know, I certainly wonder what the lingering effects will be 
on, you know, myself, people I know, health-wise, psychologically. I mean, this has been such a, a traumatic year in so many ways. I mean, are you are are you thinking about that at all for the future? I mean, are can we expect to see any kind of lingering effects uh, in the populations that y'all serve in the city when it comes to homelessness uh, from the pandemic? My hope would be you know, a lingering effect from the pandemic would be that we really utilized these HUD emergency dollars very, very well and got all the people off the street and have been able to provide services so that we see a sharp decrease in the amount of homelessness. I'll definitely keep my fingers crossed for that. Although I think, you know, it solving homeless, housing is definitely a big part of solving homelessness, but there is going to be a lot of support needed to keep people, um, out of homelessness, but also then, you know, once the eviction moratorium expires, preventing a whole new wave of people experiencing homelessness. I think that's what I'm expecting for our clients. They don't seem quite as uh, traumatized by the pandemic, uh, I think, as the general population, just because those experiencing, especially unsheltered homelessness, are used to kind of being off and doing their own thing. They don't quarantine themselves, but they, they just don't interact with other people quite as much. And so that lack of social engagement that hit us all really hard didn't hit them quite as hard. I think we're going to see a lot of healthcare providers with PTSD-like symptoms and having to deal with all the burnout and all the issues coming out of it. Well, sure. So maybe just to kind of parrot you back, just that you hope that this attention on housing and and what money can do to give people, you know, kind of better conditions in which to live, that that attention stays focused on that issue. Yeah, yeah. So the theory is um, when you put someone into permanent supportive housing, once they stabilize and are doing well, you roll them off of permanent supportive housing into a different type of, um, it's still federally funded housing, um, but it's not, you don't have all that support, I guess, of, you know, the case management and all that. Um, and so the theory here is that they'll go to this rapid rehousing that was funded with the emergency dollars, and then from there to permanent supportive housing, and then from there graduate on to a regular voucher. And then we can just eliminate that whole swath of the homelessness that these people are experiencing. I think that's the, you know, the theoretical end goal. And if we stick with it and do it well, it may happen. Joy Fernandez de Narayan manages Mercy Care's Street Medicine Program in Atlanta. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur of the moment thing. 
You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.